Hello, everybody. Well, it's the weekend again, and we're coming to you with our last message in this series, Peace in the Panic. We started this, well, during the self-quarantine, so this is our 11th week now, and we're shifting to a new uh, topic, new series, uh, starting May 31st. But since this is uh, the weekend and Memorial Day's Monday, I just want to just uh, say how thankful I am to... Um, all the men and women that uh, have given their lives throughout the years and decades, centuries in America, for America, that we could live in a great, great place. And I love America, and I'm so proud to be an American. Um, very, very proud of that. And I know you've had loved ones and ancestors that fought in wars to give us freedoms that we have today. So praise the Lord that uh, we are uh, the product of brave men and women and we don't take that lightly here. And on Memorial Day, maybe just think about that just for a little bit. So today I'm going to finish up the series, uh, through, especially through Psalm 23. We're going to look at verse 5 and 6. But I want to begin with this. Um, this uh, it's a reality. And let me make the statement, and let me give the illustration. Um, if you miss something at the beginning, you've missed it. It'll throw you off. For instance, I heard this years ago that if you were to get in a plane and you were to fly, and if you started off one degree off course, that um, for every 60 miles you fly, you'll be, um, <clears throat> you'll be a mile off. So if you flew from LAX to JFK and you're one degree off, every 60 miles in the air, you're one mile off. So by the time you got to JFK, you'll have missed it by 50 miles. Because if you miss it at the beginning, you miss it entirely. Now, why am I saying that and why am I starting off with that? Well, let me take you to uh, something that Jesus, an inter a Jesus interaction in Matthew chapter 21. Now, we're going to be in Psalm 23 today, absolutely. But go to Matthew chapter 21. And I want to show you something about if you miss it in the beginning, you miss it entirely. Because Jesus... Um, he confirmed this truth. Now watch this in Matthew 21. I'm going to read verses 23 to 27. And it says, <clears throat> When he, Jesus, entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him while he was teaching. And they said, here's what their question is, By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority. Now, they're not happy with him, okay? And when they say, by what authority do you do these things? Because, you know, he's basically just uh, cleansed the temple at this time. So when they question his authority, what they're really saying is, wait a minute here, guy. What credentials do you have? What school did you go to? Rabbi, uh, Pharisee, Sadducee, scribe? You have gone to no school. You have no credentials. You have no degree. You're one of these uh, you know, artisans from the Galilee area. So what authority do you have teaching us? And so they come in and they interrupt his teaching. They interrupt his service. 
and they start to character assassinate him. And isn't that what we do now in America? We don't like something somebody believes in, so we just character assassinate them. We don't even know what we're talking about. We're going to character assassinate them. That's what they're doing to Jesus. So this thing we do now in America is not anything new. It was done back then to Jesus. Verse 24. Jesus said to them, here's his response. And he's so smart. You don't even want to mess with Jesus at this moment. He says, I'll ask you one thing, which if you tell me, I will also tell you by what authority I do these things. In other words, I'm going to ask you a question. If you answer the question, then I'll answer your question. Great move. And here's his question. The baptism of John, in other words, John the Baptist, was from what source, from heaven or from men? In other words, what was the authority of John's baptism? Was it his own authority or did that authority come from heaven? Here's what they say. And they began to reason, began reasoning among themselves saying, well, if we say from heaven, he will say to us, then why did you not believe him? But if we say from men, well, we fear the people. For they all regard John as a prophet. So they're in a quandary. They don't know which way to answer because either way they lose. And so in verse 27, here's their answer. In answering Jesus, they said, mm, we do not know. Then he turns around and says to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Mm. There's a very important principle for you and I as Christians to know here before I get back to my issue. And that's this. <clears throat> if I'm not obeying the truth that I know, then God's not going to give me any more insight. See, they don't want to admit that the baptism of John was from heaven. So therefore, Jesus is not going to give them any more insight. not going to answer any more questions. It's true of life. If we're not going to obey the scriptures, then why is he going to reveal more to us? Out of these scriptures, he's just not going to do it till we obey those things. Now, here's my, here's my, my point that I'm trying to bring out. <clears throat> Jesus, when asked the question of his authority, he takes him back to John the Baptist. The beginning. Why? Because if you miss it at the beginning, you miss it entirely. If they could not acknowledge that the baptism of John in Jesus' life was from heaven. They missed it completely. Well, why are you saying that, Jim? Well, Psalm 23. Verse 1, we know that he says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. David begins, he says, The Lord is my shepherd. If I don't make Jesus the chief shepherd of my life and follow him, if I don't get that right at the beginning, that he's God in the flesh, that he's the only Messiah, that there's no other way to heaven, if I don't get that right at the beginning, then I missed it entirely. I don't just miss JFK on the flight. I miss, I miss it all. See, if I miss it at the beginning, I miss it completely. You got to make Jesus Christ a shepherd. Acknowledge that he's the only God and he's alive by virtue of the resurrection. And there is evidence that he did rise from the dead. Mm -hmm. Now, <clears throat> today we come to the last two verses of Psalm 23. Next week, uh, the weekend of May 31st, I'm going to begin a new series called The Last Call. It's going to be an end time series. That's right, end times. And not because of what we're going through now. I planned this a year ago. In fact, I was going to do it last summer. But things came up and things, plans changed. So I thought, I'll do it 
in 2020. And so we're here now, and I'm going to enter into a, an end times series. And some of you have been asking me for one. I said, what's well, coming? So I have actually five points. You're thinking, Jim, how will you ever finish five points in the time allotted? I know, huh? People question me on that all the time. Well, I have five points, and we're going to finish in the allotted time. So I want to go back, and I want to read Psalm 23, 1 through 4, and then we're going to focus on verse 5 and 6 as we look at our last time through the peaceful heart. So Psalm 23, 1 through 4 says this. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Yeah. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now from here, we're going to go into verses 5 and 6. We're going to drive this baby home. So here we go, five points. The peaceful heart has a feast. The peaceful heart has a feast. Now watch verse, verse 5, the beginning of it. It says, <clears throat> You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Stop right there. What's David saying? He says, I have peace while I feast in the midst of my foes. See, David's a man that's been on the run for years. They're trying to kill him. But David says, I have peace while I feast in the midst of my foes. Now, what does that mean to you and I? Let me tell you, it's a very practical thing that you just got to remember. And that's this. The evil of evil men and women is not strong enough to stop the blessings of God in the life of a follower of Jesus Christ, the chief shepherd. Did you hear what I said? I gave you a loaded truth. The evil of evil men and women is not strong enough to stop the blessings of God in the life of a follower of Christ. Jim, can you back that up? Back it up. That's right. Back it up biblically. I'm not going to turn them, but let me tell you a story. In Numbers chapter 23, there's a guy by the name of Balak. And Balak attempts to hire a man named Balaam to pronounce a curse upon Israel. So Balaam, you know, he seeks God and God says, you know, you cannot curse whom I have blessed. God says, no, 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 Balaam, don't you dare curse whom I have blessed. Well, this man, uh, Balak, up, ups the ante. And so Balaam, you know, he goes back again. And this time, he stands at, in a place called, a mountain called Pisgah. We know it as Mount Nebo. It's the mountain where Moses will go up and he, that's where he will die. He will see the Israelites cross into the promised land from Mount Nebo. So Balaam stands up there and God reinforces to him this. He says, you, can, you cannot curse whom I have blessed. It's a true statement. You see, 
people say negative things, they curse you, you'll never be this, they can't stop the blessing of God. Let me reverse that. You and I might think at times, God, I don't want you to do that for them. I hope nothing good happens for them. You can't stop the blessing of God in a follower of Christ's life. In fact, I think God might bless them more if you try to curse their life. So you might as well stop it. But here's the cool part. As Balaam stands up on Mount Nebo, Mount Pisgah, he looks down over the camp there on the eastern side of the mountains that are on the eastern side of the Jordan River. And he sees all Israel camped down there. Now, if you looked at the way God said for the tribes to camp and looked at the numerical count of each tribe and put it in kind of a roundabout look, here's what it would look like. Watch my hands. It would look like this as you're looking down in the camp. It would look like this. It would look like a cross. God has them camped in the look, in the shape of a cross. Listen, when you gave your life to Jesus, when you pledged to follow him and you trust him as the only God, the one who died and rose from the dead for, to forgive you of your sins and give you a new life, when you do that, you're under the blood. He went to the cross for you. And if people try to curse you, God says, no, no, you cannot curse whom I have blessed. And never forget that. That's why David has a peaceful heart. That's why he can feast in the midst of the foes, in the midst of the people that try to do him harm because the evil of evil men and women cannot stop the blessing of God in your life and mine. God has prepared a table before me in the presence of my enemies. So have no fear, friends. The second thing after the feast is the peaceful heart has a future. It has a future. So first it feasts, and then the peaceful heart has a future. Now, it says in verse 5 at the end, he says, You have anointed my head with oil. Oh, that's interesting. <clears throat> if you back up in the story of David, back over to chapter 16 of 1 Samuel, you find that when he is chosen as king, that Samuel anoints him with oil, showing that he is the next king of Israel. In other words, David, the anointing today is the proof that you are, that you have a great future. Your future is you will be king. So God has a future for him. Now, I want you to say this with me. If God is the author of life, then there must be a script. Now you say it. If God is the author of life, then there must be a script. And yes, there is. There has to be a script. Now, you know me, I'm a movie guy, and I give you time. And I gave you 26 years on this movie, but if you chose not to watch it, I can't help you. So I'm going to take you back 26 years into a movie, one of my favorites, and that is The Shawshank Redemption. I could watch that movie at any time, any place. It picks up. I can watch it. I know that movie's forwards, backwards, sideways, upside. I, I know that movie because it's just a great movie. Andy Dufresne. He is um, convicted of murdering his wife, but he's an innocent man. And he goes to prison, Shawshank. And he suffers, suffers in that prison. And he becomes friends with certain people one of which is Red. His name's Red. And wherever Andy goes, 
He brings light and he brings hope to dismal situations like that prison. Isn't that interesting? One day, Andy is sitting at the table and he's talking about hope. And Red, who are, they are best friends, Red says, don't be talking about it. hope is dangerous in a place like this. He's saying that that place destroys your hope, it takes it all away. And as the movie progresses, we find out that Andy has been tunneling out for 20 years. And he gets out. But he's left red messages to find his way to where Andy's at. If, if Red ever gets paroled, and Red gets paroled. And he finds the one key message to how to get to Andy, because Andy left him the clues. And there's this one scene at the end. It's one of the great scenes. And Red, as he's getting near to where Andy is, you hear him think these thoughts, but you hear it in Andy's voice. And he says this. He says, remember, Red, hope is a good thing. Maybe the best of things. I think that's true. If you lose your hope, you lose a lot. Listen. Somebody out there, listen, please. If you're a follower of Christ, there's a script for your life. And it's not over. There are still chapters. You see, if God is your father, he's been writing the script and it's not over. You cannot lose your hope in tomorrow. You cannot lose to hope your hope in what could be in your life. You, you just can't do that. Now, let me show you something from the Bible that confirms these truths. Now, we're going to turn to a well-known verse, and it's in Jeremiah chapter 29. Turn to Jeremiah 29. And in that verse, and some of you already know it, you know I know that verse, but let me show you something that maybe you don't know in that verse. Maybe, maybe you do, maybe you don't. I'm going to read verse 10 and 11. Now, we typically only read or quote or memorize verse 11, but verse 10, and even before that, it's very important. But just these two, watch. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years have been completed for Babylon, in other words, when their captivity is over, in 70 years, because that was a prophecy, I will visit you and fulfill my good word to you to bring you back to this place. Huh. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. Like I said, we typically only read verse 11, but we need to read verse 10. Jeremiah, under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, is saying, we've been in captivity 70 years, God's telling me, but it's coming to an end. The 70 years is almost over. And at the end of 70 years, God is going to bring you back, back to where? To where Jeremiah is at, back to Jerusalem, back to the home country, because they've been deported. Many of them are, are gone. Now, why? Why is God going to bring him back? Verse 11, because the script isn't complete. Because there are still plans. He says, I know the plans that I have for you. Yes, you've been in captivity. Yes, life has not turned out the way you thought, but it's not over. I'm giving you these, I have these plans for you to give you a future and a hope. Now the word hope that old Jeremiah uses 
It's an interesting word because it's the word that means rope. A rope? Yeah, it means rope. So here's the whole point. As long as I'm holding on to the hope in God, the rope, then I'm being guided by God into a future that God has for me. You know why I like that? Because remember, Red, hope is a good thing. Maybe the best of things. See, you need to understand something again. David's going through many troubles and trials in his life. There's even a moment in time where he thinks, I'm going to die. I'll, I'll never be the king. But maybe here he's remembering, you've anointed my head with oil. There is a future for me, and there is a future for you. So there's a feast, and there's a future. Number three, the, the peaceful heart also has a flow. Now, Psalm 23, and look at um, verse 5. At the very end, it says, my cup overflows. Now, earlier in Psalm 23, remember what he said, that you are to um, sit there, uh, you lie down in green pastures, besides quiet water, still waters. So for the deer, for the sheep, you drink from those waters. And what's he trying to tell us here? So as a sheep following the chief shepherd, I drink from the waters of the word. Jesus would say it like this, from your innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. Which, let me put it together. If I'm drinking from the word of God, if I'm drinking from the worship of God, if this is what I'm intaking, then that is what should be flowing from me. So the peaceful heart, wow, the peaceful heart has a certain flow from its life. Now, <clears throat> you ever been to a wedding or on a cruise ship? And uh, I think I've seen maybe, maybe a couple times where they've rendered this thing, typically on cruise ships will do stuff like this, but they have that big, sometimes it's chocolate, like a fountain of chocolate, and the chocolate flows from the top, and it comes through that first little container, then it fills up, and that overflows to the next big bowl on the second level, and then that overflows, and then it overflows to the next giant bowl at the bottom. You go get your ice cream, whatever, and you dip it in the chocolate, whatever you do. Get a banana, dip it in the chocolate, whatever you do. The thing is awesome, is it not? But here's the deal. As each bowl fills up, it overflows to the next container, does it not? <clears throat> this is the great thing about the Christian life. That when you're so filled with God, what God has poured into us, it begins to overflow into the lives of others to a point that we become helpers of others. So here's the question. <clears throat> and it's a big question. When we get tipped as a cup that's overflowing, what flows out? What flows out of you? What flows out of me, peaceful heart? That's a big question. Does joy or irritation? Love or hate, patience, impatience, hope, or disappointment? What flows out? Are you a peacemaker or a divider? What flows out? You see, you got to pay attention to what flows out 
Because that's telling you what you're filled with. He says, my cup runs over. But he's filled with all the right stuff. And it's flowing out. It's all good stuff. Pay attention. <clears throat> you know what I like about this? Now it makes sense when he says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want at the very beginning. See, I should be so filled up in God that I'm no longer a gimme, 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 gimme. But I'm a person that when tipped, comes flowing out that I give, 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 give. Because I'm so filled with the, the things of God. You know that's important? That shows spiritual maturity. That shows growth. That's what it, that shows you becoming a human, actually. Because you see, uh, or I should say an adult, because the little child's always gimme, 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 gimme. And my, my little granddaughter, Willa, her dog had a little toy. Man, she chased him crawling all over the house after that dog. You know, that dog's not going to have that toy. I want that toy. Whatever you got, I want. Well, she's, she's like 10 months old or thereabouts. But that's a child. But when you grow up, it's not gimme, gimme, gimme. It's like, I'll give, and I, I become a giver. You see? You know my favorite story, the prodigal son. When he leaves home, gimme, gimme, gimme. When he's coming back in repentance, make me. Make me into what you want me to be. That's maturity. So we could say it like this. God, make me into the best spouse. God, make me into the best employee. God, make me into the best friend. God, make me into the best citizen. God, make me into the best neighbor. God, make me into the best family member. So that when I'm tipped and my cup overflows, out comes all that fruit of the Spirit, love and joy and peace and patience and endurance and suffering. Make me like that, God. That's what David's saying. My cup overflows. And the fourth thing he says is, the peaceful heart is follow. There's a follow right there. Mm. Now, uh, he says in Psalm 23, 6, he says, surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. Uh -huh. So the peaceful heart follows. <clears throat> um, <laughs> um, have you ever heard the term that um, their perfume or their cologne got there like, you know, 30 seconds before they did? Of course you have. You ever been hugged by grandma and, you know, grandma wears that, that, that perfume. It's really strong. And once they've hugged you, it's like you just can't get rid of that smell because it's really, really strong. You ever, you ever done that before? Of course you have. <clears throat> now, once you leave there, you carry the smell of that, of that perfume or that cologne, whoever hugged you. In biblical days, um, he says, um, <clears throat> there's a follow to my life. Now, he's already been anointed with oil, remember, but there's a follow to my life. And that's this. When, in those days, when you'd come to someone's home, remember, it was a very hot climate, and they didn't take baths every day. So they kind of stunk. And so one of the things you would do as a host is you would anoint them with oil to try to cover up the stink because, you know, you know, you know. And, uh, and so now when that person would have that cologne or perfume on them, it would have, they'd have this, this, this beautiful smell to them. And let me tell you a funny story I told you before. One time, my mother, and this is no exaggeration, 
Maybe this is why I have such emotional problems. But my mother, in the theater one day, she didn't like the way the person in front of her smelled. She took out her perfume and sprayed that person with the perfume. Is that gutsy or what, man? But she did that because she wanted to cover up that person's smell. So that person would have a, a nice smell to them wherever they went. Listen, listen. David says this. <clears throat> I've been anointed. <clears throat> and something follows me all the days of my life. Goodness and loving kindness. When you have the anointing of God, there's a certain smell upon your life. There's an aroma to your life. And that aroma, that sweet smell aroma should be goodness and loving kindness should follow you and I wherever we go. Another big question is this. What aroma do we bring to any environment? So keep your finger here and turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Watch this in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, watch verse 14 and 15, and it says this. But thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumph in Christ and manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. For we are a fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. What? We're an aroma. We have the, the, the aroma of God on us, the anointing. And there's a follow. There's a sweet-smelling follow to us wherever we go. And it's goodness and loving kindness wherever we go. Maybe that's the evidence of a transformed life, goodness and loving kindness. Now, let's drive this baby home. And that's number five, the peaceful heart has a finish. It has a finish. In Psalm 23, let me read verse six now. It says, <clears throat> Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now think about this. Think of how David connects the, the bookends. He begins with the Lord is my shepherd. And then he ends with, I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He starts with God. He ends with God. He starts with the shepherd we know as Jesus Christ, the rock of our salvation. He ends with the Lord whom we know as Jesus Christ, the rock of our salvation. <clears throat> he begins with God. He ends up in God's house. So you see the book ends right there. <clears throat> By the way, if you've left church, come back. Be like this person. I will dwell in the house forever. Now, let me, let me drive this last two thoughts home. Okay. When we went on quarantine, um, that first weekend in mid-March, that week after that, I woke up on Tuesday, and I had vertigo. Now, I've had vertigo one, every so many years I get vertigo. But I had it for a week. And it's, it's terrible. You fell off balance. If, you, if those of you who know what it feels like, it's just terrible. It went away. Then my birthday came in mid-April. Two days later, I get vertigo again. This time it's so bad. I'm, I mean, it, 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 the room is spinning. I can't even close my eyes. The room is spinning so bad. It went away after about three days. 
And then, last week, I woke up, got out of bed, and I go, oh my gosh, it's back. It's spinning again. It eventually went away in about a day and a half. It's terrible to be off balance, isn't it? It's a nauseating feeling. Because we like balance in our life. Let me tell you why I say that. Because if we follow Psalm 23, from the beginning, the Lord is my shepherd, you make him, you make Jesus Christ the center of your life. And you follow him. And you follow the way this thing lays it out, you will have balance in your life. You will not be off balance and teeter to the left or to the right. You'll be on balance and you'll follow God for the rest of your life. For the rest of your life. That's a good thing, guys. That's a good thing. <clears throat> and you'll have a peaceful heart. Now let me drive this last thought home since this ends the series. For those of you not followers of Christ, or you're skeptic, maybe atheist, maybe just happen to be watching because somebody forced you to watch. I, I don't know. Um, David said in there, he goes, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, for thou art with me. He's talking about death. And then in verse 6, he says, I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You know what David's saying? I'm not afraid because I know there's an afterlife. I know there's something after this life if I place my faith in God. And I'm going to see that place. He's really saying, and if you look at all of Scripture, the greater reality is not this reality, but it's the afterlife. It's eternity with God. Now, for those of you who doubt, I want you to think about Just think, Just think about this. Sigmund Freud, you've heard of Sigmund Freud. He said that God, the concept of God, was an illusion conjured up by people who just needed a father figure to help them through the problems of life with the hopes that there'd be something better after they die. He said, another psychiatrist came and said, see, the Christians conjure up God as a way to comfort themselves, knowing that death is coming and that something could be better. Well, <clears throat> that's true if there is no God. But there is a God. And so let me flip the script. You see, people say there is no God because they use that to comfort themselves against having to face the reality that when they die, they must stand before a holy God and give an account for the way they've lived their life. You see, they accuse the Christians of making up God as a comfort. No. The atheist, he destroys the possibility that there is a God to comfort him or herself against the idea that they'd have to one day give an account to God for the way they've lived their life. See, what they say it's not true. The exact opposite is true. And let me tell you out there, I don't know where you're at with Christ. I don't know if you're a follower. I don't know if you're backslid. I don't know if you're a skeptic. I don't know if you're not sure. I don't know if you're an atheist. All I know is you're watching me. And so I'm going to give you an opportunity right now. 
You see, there is a greater reality. Jesus did rise from the dead. You can explore the evidence of it by scholars. It is true. He rose from the dead. There's plenty of evidence, but you got to believe it, don't you? There is a greater reality, and I'm going to give you a chance to put your faith in Jesus right now into that greater reality. See, Jesus came, and he died on a cross for you, and he shed his blood to give you life, to forgive you of your sins, that you wouldn't have to stand before God and try to explain your way out of all your sins. They'd be under the blood of Jesus, forgiven, because you're in relationship with Jesus Christ. This is the opportunity right now. And I'm going to give you it. If you've never placed your faith in Jesus, today maybe is the day. And maybe you're sitting around family members or friends who are just thinking, please give your life to Christ. Please put your faith in Jesus. Or maybe you backslid. And maybe it's just time to come back. Come on, it's time to come back. So whichever chair you're in, I want you to do this thing. If you'd like to place your faith in Jesus for the first time, or you'd like to rededicate your life to Jesus, I want you to repeat this prayer and just believe in him as you say it. I'm going to say it slowly in blocks so that you can repeat it. If you feel awkward around people there, then say it in your head. You know, repeat it in your mind. But do it. Here we go. Repeat after me. Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I believe you lived, you died for me, carrying my sins on a cross and rose from the dead. I place my faith in you as my Messiah, my shepherd, my God. Today I choose to follow you my entire life. Today, I become a follower of Jesus Christ. Thank you. Now let me pray. You can keep your eyes open, close your eyes, whatever you want to do. But let me pray. I pray for you. I remember saying that same prayer almost 41 years ago. I pray for you as the Spirit of God came to live in your life that you're now going to start down a new road where God's going to fill you with so much good stuff. It's going to change you so that when you're tipped, good things come out of you. That God's going to begin to bless even though others curse. God's going to do those things. I pray that you know the love of God and how much he loves you and cares about you. And experience the reality of the Spirit of God living in you, which only a born-again person can even know. So God, I thank you for this time. I thank you for their salvation. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Well, if you prayed that prayer, I would invite you to ask your friends or family to get you a Bible, show you where to start, I would say start in the Gospels, New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Stay there for about six months. Learn about Jesus. Then you can expand out. Keep tuning in to church. And once the doors open, get into a church. If you're out of state, find a church that teaches the Bible. 
and worships God and get in there and begin to grow. Well, next week we start our End Times um, series. It's been great talking with you today, teaching you. It's always my pleasure. Can't wait to see you, hopefully sooner than later, give you my digital hug once again. But God bless you, and we'll see you.